0: Hello, and welcome to The Short Gun Sportsman, a podcast about handgun hunting, brought to you by Handgun Hunters International. My name is Ryan Hoover, and I'm your host. I believe handgun hunting is the most rewarding way to hunt, and it's something I want to share with as many people as I can. If you are at all interested in getting your own game meat, I want to challenge you to a way of hunting that is good for both your spirit and your body, so you can become the confident, self-reliant person you were meant to be. Welcome to the first video episode of the Shortgun Sportsman. I hope you guys enjoy it. Let me know what you think of this format and see if we can do more. I am really excited about today's episode because we're going to be talking about something that's near and dear to my heart, which is target panic or flinch. Uh, Those are two separate things and we're going to get into them in just a minute. But I have had some personal experience with this and it can be embarrassing and hard to admit and hard to overcome. And I wanted to talk to you guys about what I've learned through the process from a lot of handgun hunters as well as what has and hasn't worked for me and a little bit about my own journey. But before we do that, I want to tell you guys about the six gunner. The six gunner is an online digital magazine that handgun hunters international puts out it is written only by hhi members and it is what i call our love letter to the world about handgun hunting we describe in detail all of our adventures, and it's written by people who have actually done it. We talk about hunting, we talk about guns, reloading, we talk about what has and hasn't worked, successes and failures, again, by people who have actually been there and done it. And the best part about it is is that it's free. You don't have to be a member to read it, but you definitely have to be a member to write for it. If you'd like to be subscribed to The Six Gunner, you can sign up for free at subscribepage.com forward slash the six gunner again subscribe page.com forward slash the six gunner and just sign up for free we'd love to have you and it comes to your inbox uh, every other month all right so let's get into this episode of the Shortgun sportsman about target panic and flinch okay first let's get into what is a flinch and what is target panic so i define them differently both of them manifest themselves the same way, but here's here's what I think about them. A flinch is when you pull the gun off target, when you pull the trigger, because you're afraid um, of the recoil or the noise. It's a physical fear. You feel like it's its not, the experience is not going to be enjoyable. Target panic, on the other hand, is something that's brought on by internal anxiety, where when you're pulling the trigger, you're just feeling that anxiety. is just that anxious gut turning about, I hope I hit the target. I hope I do it right. I hope I do, When's it going to go off? When's it going to go off? When's it going to go off? And that's, a little bit different. Like I said, they both manifest themselves pretty much in the same way in that when you pull the trigger, you either jerk it uh, or do it wrong to where the barrel is pulled off of the target when you fire and usually ends up in a miss or a bad hit. Personally, I have suffered more from target panic. Uh, This is due to some anxiety that I've experienced in my life. And it came about with some external circumstances that I was facing about five years ago or so, you know, just going through a stressful time in my life. And I noticed I was a custom gun builder at the time. Those of you have heard me tell this story before, please forgive me. I was a custom gun builder at a time, at the time was going through uh, my, just had my third kid. Uh, We moved our house. I was kind of facing a career crisis. I went to the range with some guns I built, including my first hunting handgun and was just noticing that I was feeling this, you know, butterflies in my stomach when I was pulling the trigger on these guns, which is something that I had never experienced before. It, it had never bothered me before. Recoil had never bothered me. And so, you know, it was, it was one of those gut checks. Like, what is going on? Well, that led me down a long uh, path of mental health Uh, improvement for myself, which I'm a big advocate of quickly. I'll just say, you know, we say we go to a gym to improve our physical health. Why don't we figure out some sort of gym to improve our mental health? There should be no shame in that. And I'm proud to say that I focus on a lot of my mental health now through intentional exercises and overcoming target panic has been one of them. So Whether you suffer from a flinch or target panic, you're going to see the same results, missed targets, bad shots, et cetera, et cetera. And I also want to say that some people don't suffer from this. Majority of of shooters, especially handgunners, are going to encounter some sort of flinch or target panic at some point in their shooting career, from my experience, because it can be uh, an inbuilt thing. It could be something that you have when you start shooting, or it could also be something that happens after you've been shooting for a while, an event like what like what happened to me, an event causes it to happen. Or, you know, I've seen a flinch develop in people who are trying to shoot a really heavy recoiling gun too much, and they just become so fatigued that they don't have the presence of mind or the physical uh, wherewithal left after a shooting session to be able to apply the fundamentals, and they start jerking the trigger, and that can lead to a longer term flinch. Uh, but, you know, it doesn't have to apply. This, this, this won't apply to everyone is what I'm saying. Another thing I want to say is some people love recoil. Some people have some weird inborn trait to be almost impervious to recoil. There are a lot of HHI members that the bigger, the better. And I think that's awesome. Some other people have a threshold, you know, there is a limit at which, and I would say this is probably most people, there is a limit at which the, it's, Uncomfortable or not fun for them to shoot. Unfortunately, the kind of ethos around this kind of shooting is that if you don't want to push the limits of your recoil tolerance, then you're somehow a wimp or, you know, whatever it is. And while I think pushing the limits of my recoil tolerance, which right now is not in the stratosphere, is something that I would like to do. It's not something that I feel is necessary for me to be a successful handgun hunter. By all means, if you if you want to go that route, go for it. And also, if you're in the handgun hunting community, expect a little bit of gentle ribbing from some other members, I'm sure, about uh, going after some of those bigger calibers. But there is such a thing as my point in this whole part is... It's not necessarily a flinch or target panic. It could just be that you have reached or gone past your recoil threshold. And, you know, for people with physical limitations like arthritis, uh, shoulder injuries, whatever the whatever the deal is, if you have some physical limitation preventing you from being able to handle recoil, then obviously you have a ceiling that you need to stop at just to prevent damage to yourself or just straight up pain from happening when you shoot. And I think that's another important thing to talk about too, is that you don't have to shoot the biggest boominous Magnum to be a successful handgun hunter. Yes. Recoil generally goes up with uh, the bigger the game that you, pr- you know, pursue and you can go as heavy recoiling as you want. But again, no, find your limits and don't be ashamed of your limits, whether they are a moving target because you are dealing with a flinch or target panic, or whether they are just, this is what I'm going to be comfortable handling for the rest of my life, whether it is due to a physical limitation or due to you just deciding, I don't want to shoot guns that kick that much. There's nothing wrong with that. So how do you find out if you have a flinch? Well, fortunately, There's an easy, easy, easy way to do it. And it depends on the kind of gun that you're shooting. I have a few uh, of my personal guns here today to show you. It depends on what you're shooting, but here's how, here's the way to test whether or not you have a flinch or target panic. Again, they manifest themselves in the same way. So take this Raging Bull, for example, which just happens to be one of the giveaway guns for this month, which is March, right? Wow, March, March, 2023. So on a revolver like this, what you would do is you can get this one holds five rounds. And uh, if you're not watching, if you're just listening, I'm holding the revolver with the cylinder open, showing that you know the the chambers in the cylinder. So what you would do is either just load one of these, or load four with dummies and one with a live round. That's kind of what I prefer to do because you could. So you can't tell when the rim is coming up if you're looking at the back of the cylinder and then turn away or close your eyes, spin the cylinder and without looking, close it and, and get it ready to shoot. That way you are not going to know whether or not when you pull the trigger, the gun is going to go off and you're the first time you'll know. There's a video of me, I think. I don't know if it's on my personal, it's on Facebook, where I was doing my own testing of a flinch uh, when I was shooting my 357 Blackhawk or my 629, And it was, you know, when I discovered that I had a flinch, it was immediately available. You'll be able to know without a doubt right away. So that's how you discover if you have a flinch, you do the dummy test. And if you do, you do. If you don't, great but you have to be sure that you do not know whether or not the next round or excuse me the next time you pull the trigger it's going to fire with a, a single shot like my trusty TC contender here in 730 waters what i like to do with that kind of thing is load up one dummy round which means it has a bullet in a case but no primer and no powder and Put that in with three or four other rounds. And without looking at what you're doing, load one of those rounds in your gun. So you're, again, you're not going to know whether when you pull the trigger, the gun's going to go off. On a semi-auto, what you want to do is get a dummy round for whatever caliber that semi-auto is. Load the magazine. You can do this without looking if you just put five or 10 rounds in a box and one of them or two of them are a dummy. And just start loading without looking. And then you'll know, again, whether or not when you pull the trigger, you're not going to know if your, if your gun's going to go off. An easier way to do this is if you have a shooting buddy and let him load your gun for you and hand it to you, obviously in a safe manner so that, so that he knows and you don't, that eliminates any of the potential for peaking or, you know, if the, if the dummy rounds feel different or anything like that, that's another easy way to do it. But most of the time when I shoot, I shoot by myself. So those are the methods, methods that I've come up with that work pretty well for doing this test. Okay, so <clears throat> you know you have a flinch. Let's say you know you have a flinch. Whether or not it's target panic or a flinch, that's more of a subjective way or a subjective issue for you to determine yourself whether or not it's a target panic issue or a flinch issue. For me, I went a long time thinking I had a flinch and then discovered it was target panic and we'll get into more of that in just a just a little bit but i want to talk about the importance of the gun in overcoming a flinch or target panic so first and foremost the most important thing about a gun that will enable you to not flinch is a good consistent trigger we all have heard the term, the glass rod, you know, a proverbial, when you pull the trigger, it feel like you're breaking a glass rod. That's satisfying and sharp click. But handgun triggers are vastly, vastly different. Each one has a different mechanism. That means that sometimes you're not going to be able to get a trigger like that. You're not going to have the same trigger on a 1911 at a hammer fired gun, as you are on a Glock, a striker fired gun, just because of the way everything works inside of it. So when I say good, consistent trigger, what I mean is a trigger that every single time you pull it, it is the same so that you can get used to the, how that trigger feels whenever you pull it. And also good, meaning as good as that trigger can get within reason, you know? So You don't want to settle for, and again, this is kind of subjective, so it's a little mushy around the edges here, but you don't want to settle for a ridiculously strong trigger, but you may not have to go, a Glock is a good example. There are a lot of things you can do to a Glock to make it feel really good and have a really good trigger, but you may not want to go through all those things. As long as you get to a point where you're comfortable with that trigger and it's the same every time, then you have a good jumping off point to start your practice with. Certain guns, uh, let's say revolvers, you know, obviously each one of them has two separate, well, a double action revolver has two separate trigger pulls put into it. Again, using my Raging Bull here, you can pull the trigger and it will rotate the cylinder and cock the hammer and then fire the gun. Or you can pull the hammer back and you will fire the gun like that. Now, most hunters that I know of, myself included, never shoot double action in the field unless it's, you know... An emergency about it, something's running, you have to make one of those quick shots or whatever. It does pay to practice both triggers, but usually your single action trigger is going to be good. And I always focus on that when I'm trying to work on my target plan target panic or my flinch. So once you know that you have a good trigger, the next thing you want to think about is how the gun fits you. Again, very subjective. If you know anything about shotgun shooting, you'll know how important gun fit is. And everybody's hands are different. Small hands, big hands, long fingers, short fingers with the same size palm, you know, all kinds of different hand shapes. That's why when you have custom grips made, a lot of grip makers have you send them a tracing of your hand and they make the gun grips to your specific hand, which I think is a worthwhile endeavor for anybody who needs grips that fit them. So you're going to have to discover yourself which gun fits you best. You know, here's a good example for me. This is another one of our giveaway guns. This month we're doing a you get to choose. This Ruger Blackhawk 41 Magnum, you know, has the what they call the plow handle on it. And this gun is fantastic. I love this gun. I don't shoot it very well. I don't shoot a plow handle as well as I shoot a Bisley grip. And I don't know if that's because I have more experience with the Bisley grip or just the way my hands are. I don't know. It's just a feature of the way I was made and something that I found out. And that's why that gun is actually a giveaway gun because I upgraded to a Bisley so that I could have more comfort when I shot. Grip, here's another couple examples. I know a guy, everybody talks about the Bisley on the BFR, the Bisley grip for the Magnum Research BFR. And it is, it does feel great. I've felt it. I don't have a lot of experience with the BFR, but the Bisley, I think is a good feeling. He, this guy does not like it. He says the Bisley grip just does not fit him as well as a, they say a freedom arms plow handle or a standard grip. So totally different. He, his experience is different from what most everybody else has told me about that Bisley grip. And so don't take anything for granted when you hear something from somebody about how good a a grip feels, because it's going to be different from everybody for everybody. Another example is a good buddy of mine was a Navy SEAL and they were issued, oh, HKs or 1911s and he shoots a 1911 pretty well but a, a standard Glock grip the angle he shoots high I think high or low he shoots he's off with his elevation every time because he's not used to the grip angle and obviously he's he's a good shot but that's just another example of because he's been trained on one grip Another grip doesn't really fit him well. So it's going to take some testing. Fortunately, one of the great things about this community, the handgun hunting community, is that we're all willing to share our information and let you shoot our guns. Like if I'm at the range and I see somebody who needs uh, or who expresses interest, I'm going to donate a few of my rounds to let them shoot my gun so that they can get under their belt some experience and you know, I, you know, help help each other out because if I'm considering buying another gun, I'm gonna find somebody who has that gun and see if they'll let me shoot it so that I can decide whether or not it's gonna fit me or what I like about it and whether or not whether I'm gonna to have to upgrade the grips. And that's another thing about fit. Sometimes it's the gun, like with a Glock there are certain things you can do to change the grip. Actually there are a lot of things you can do, but it usually is going to have to go to a gunsmith or somebody who can do that kind of work cuz you you have to really adjust the frame cuz the frame is a monolithic piece. But with a lot of guns you can just change the grips and you'll adjust the fit of the gun to you. Now, one last point I want to mention about whether or not the gun fits, it's going to be how you is going to be how you grip the gun. Be sure that you know, and this goes into fundamentals, which I'm going to talk about in a second, make sure you know how you're going to grip the gun. There are several different ways to grip a gun. Find one that works best for you and practice until it becomes second nature. Lastly, recoil mitigation is something that you can apply to many guns in order to lessen the felt recoil by you, the shooter, which will in turn make you more apt to want to shoot it, to feel comfortable shooting it. And so you can, you know, progress through a heavier recoiling gun if you apply a recoil mitigation technique. Now, what do I mean by that? Mostly what I mean is muzzle brakes. Muzzle brakes or porting or something like that. Going back to this Taurus Raging Hunter, on the muzzle here, if you're watching on video, you can see that it has eight ports, four on each side, of the barrel, see if I can get it into focus, of course not, and that, the idea behind that is that it directs the gases up when you shoot, which is like a rocket motor, I like to think, pushing the barrel down, which reduces the felt recoil. Another good example of that is my Red Hawk here that has Magna ports on it right at the front. This is just a two-port job. The Magna port is less about reducing recoil and more about reducing muzzle rise. And there's a there's a bit of a difference there, but I find that one much more enjoyable to shoot than this one, which is my Smith & Wesson 629 and it has what Smith & Wesson called the power port at the end, just a port and again it's to direct those gases up and force the barrel down. So moving on to other recoil mitigation devices, anybody who shoots a specialty pistol like a Thompson Center Contender Encore or XP-100, any of those, they know that a muzzle break on the end can be a game changer. You know, for instance, <clears throat> people chamber XP-100s and those bolt-action specialty pistols in Magnum cartridges, 300 Win Mag and short 7 Short Mag. And I know Ernie Bishop has one in 375 shi tac which is a very big round. Shooting some of those cartridges effectively would not be capable without the use of a good muzzle brake. And so that is a good option as well. And you can put a muzzle brake on other guns just like you can put them on those guns. Revolvers, some of the guns that Chris Rhodes built had muzzle brakes on the revolvers. You can get compensators for 1911s and Glocks and other guns that Basically, the idea is to redirect the gases as they come out of the muzzle in order to mitigate the rearward motion of the gun, thus reducing the felt recoil on the shooter. Okay, so you've got your gun. You've got a good starting place to get over the flinch that you've discovered you have. And the next thing you want to make sure is that your practice, well, my wife always says practice doesn't make perfect Perfect practice makes perfect. And what she means by that is you have to practice the right way in order to accomplish your goals. And when we talk about shooting, the right way to practice is by drilling your fundamentals so that you know that you're doing things the right way. Now, your fundamentals, everybody kind of knows what they are: grip, trigger press, sight alignment, etc. And these are not things that you should that you have to be really good at in order to start reducing your flinch or getting rid of your target panic. But these are things which should always be in your head that when you are practicing, you focus on them to make sure you're doing things right. You have two benefits from that. One, you know, if, you, if you're getting over a flinch, then you are automatically required to practice more. And that is good because everybody should practice more than they actually do, in my experience. And the second one is if you're focusing on your fundamentals, that leaves you less time, that leaves your brain less margin to focus on your flinch or the anxiety caused by your target panic. So whatever gun you're going to be using, you want to make sure that your fundamentals are good. And I always do that by kind of breaking it down. You know, I'll take this is uh, this is my flinch buster right here, my Ruger Mark III target Pistol, I will always break down. This is just how I do it. Of course, everything I talk about is just how I do it. And if it helps you, great. And if it just gives you an idea of how to figure out your own way, that's great too. And if it doesn't help you, then you've eliminated a way that you don't need to try. So, what I do is I will start with just kind of a visual inspection of how I'm interacting with the gun. Uh, how my hand is interacting with the gun first. So I'm going to look, you know, how am I gripping it? Where is each finger going to be? Where is my trigger finger going to be in relation to the trigger? Then I'll, once I have that down and I like that, I'm going to say, okay, where's my support hand going to be? How's that going to be? And I look at it to make sure that I know where each part of my hands are indexed on the gun, because what you want is a repeatable process to be able to do this over and over again. Then I'm going to practice, you know, my extension, where how I'm looking through the sights. I want to kind of break down the process for myself so that I can have a way to by which to judge whether or not I'm doing it consistent. There, uh, you know, the fundamentals are, are broadly true for everybody. But I am one of those people that use what works for you. You know, if you can you if you can shoot in a way that is typically antithetical to what people would say is the right way to do, then and it works for you. I'm not here to tell you that you're doing it wrong. But there also is a good basis of data for people who do this for a living or for people who have had a lot of practice figuring out the best way to do things. So start there. Another thing that you want to do uh, that I would recommend, this is just a little thing that uh, I think is important, is your balance, the balance of your grip between light and tight. So There is such a thing as too far one way, and I know it makes sense. So if you're holding onto a gun too loosely, obviously you're gonna have less control over what happens when the gun recoils. However, you cannot control a gun's recoil, right? my 44 ruger blackhawk that i'm holding right here this thing's going to do to a degree what this thing is going to do and so there is a point of diminishing returns at which i am just gripping this thing so tight that all i'm doing is introducing fatigue and tension into my fundamentals rather than controlling the recoil and for each person it's different you know it's kind of it is kind of a strength thing like how hard can you squeeze something until you start shaking and that's a good test you know hold it out and squeeze it and if you start shaking how long can you hold it there there then you know you're gripping it too hard another thing is that is if you're gripping it too loose one like i said the recoil is going to be the master of you rather than you being the master of the recoil but also you are going to have less likelihood of having a repeatable grip on that gun next dry fire I cannot overemphasize the benefits of dry fire. A lot of times I have people ask me, well, isn't that bad for the firing pin, et cetera, et cetera. The answer is, I don't think so. Not not in my experience. There are a few guns that have had problems with that that I've heard of, but of all the dry, I dry fire every one of my guns. I have never had a broken firing pin uh, until now, right? Now that I mention it, it's probably going to happen. however if you can get dummy rounds that's always a safer idea to get dummy rounds because one uh, you're having a cushion underneath a firing pin to make sure that it doesn't break if for some chance it would and two if you get dummy rounds they're clearly identifiable as dummy rounds not live rounds so that you and everyone around you can know that you are dry firing in a safe manner one exception to this rule are rim fires. Rim fires are different in that the firing pin hits the rim of the cartridge, obviously, meaning that when there's no cartridge there, the firing pin can hit the edge of the chamber and start causing damage. So I I don't dry fire rim fires. You know, a properly set up rim fire should not strike the edge of the chamber, but that's usually not the case. So I always use some sort of dummy for a rim fire and rim fire dummies are uh, expendable and they are a used commodity where you, you use them up and you have to get new ones, but, uh, it's worth it for the amount of training that you need to do to, uh, with your dry firing. So dry fire, dry fire, dry fire. I always tell people, you know, you can do it while you're watching TV. You can do it. It doesn't have to be a special thing. You can do it at home, you know. A lot of times, I will because my my guns usually are you know in a, in a safe, high, secure spot. But I can walk by, grab one, and you know make sure that it's safe, obviously, and then dry fire ten or fifteen times. And if I do that, it really adds up, you know. So dry fire, dry fire, dry fire. And if you have any questions about that regarding your specific gun, just reach out because I was a gunsmith for 15 years and that's where my strengths lie is knowing and how they work. So let me know and we can talk through it if you have a concern about that. Okay. The next one is, and I'm happy to say that on this podcast, it's been confirmed by all the experts that I've spoken with, start with a 22 or a rimfire 22 is the most ubiquitous rimfire the ammunition for it is still cheaper than any other ammunition you can get more for more for less of 22 ammunition and go through 22 ammunition like there's no tomorrow just building those fundamentals getting used to a that your gun and another thing that I would go further and recommend is if you're going to be, if you're trying to get good with a specific kind of gun, get a 22 that is similar to that kind of gun. Now, I'm not saying you have to go go out and buy a whole bunch of guns, although I think you should because gun collecting is great and there's so many cool guns out there. But for instance, my semi-auto 22, I don't really shoot a lot of semi-autos when hunting, except for that one, I take it squirrel hunting. But I do have a 22 barrel for my contender. And so I can take that barrel on my contender. Contender is particularly applicable for this situation. Have the exact same grip, exact same trigger pull, everything, but with a 22, so that I can get practice on that gun with almost zero recoil. Same thing applies to revolvers. I have a few 22 revolvers, and I use those as practice tools for my larger caliber revolvers and there is no overstating how important practicing with a 22 is for developing your recoil tolerance, tolerance your fundamentals your sight picture how accurate i mean just it is the be- everybody should own a 22 and practice with a 22 as a matter of fact to this day even though i've come a long way in in my target panic and my flinch i start and end every range session with at least 10 shots of 22. Usually it's 10 rounds from the magazine of my Ruger, but it could be two cylinders out of my Smith & Wesson or it could be 10 shots out of my Contender. I I, I if you couldn't tell, I and others I have spoken with highly 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 recommend using a 22 to develop your shooting fundamentals. Another thing that was very beneficial to me because, like I said, I suffered mostly from target panic, which was the feeling of anxiety while pulling the trigger. And you just get this gut. It's like butterflies in your stomach. It's a terrible feeling. I learned about it from bow hunters because bow hunters uh, have this problem a lot because there is literally so much tension when they are pulling back a bow that they do have that kind of anxiety, uh, related to it. And bow hunters have invented this thing. That's really cool. It's a release that when you pull back and you get to a certain point, it releases by itself. And that is a really neat thing in that it takes the decision out of the anxiety. And that, that to me has been a key thing about learning the target panic thing. And I'm going to get into why some flinch t- techniques don't work for target panic uh, for, in my experience. But back to the method right now, one of the things that I'll do is since I reload, I will take cases from that ammunition, empty cases with no po- powder or bullet in them. I will load them with a live primer and I will do the, the test that I was talking about so- earlier about whether or not it, the gun's going to go off by putting it in the cylinder and rotating it and then closing it and, and pulling the trigger and you can simulate the noise without the recoil, obviously still use hearing protection, but you can do that at home. You can do, I mean, maybe in the garage, not, not in the house because it does have a little bit of residue. I do it in my shop. I do it in my reloading room. It's a good way to have some sort of reaction when you pull the trigger, but not the full reaction of recoil, muzzle blast, etc. And that has been hugely helpful to me to be able to take my practice up a notch in a way that doesn't have to involve me going all the way to the range because where I live getting to the range is an ordeal it's an hour away and then I have to set up and so when I do it I have to it's a big deal so that's another one loading cases with primers only to test yourself in a little more higher stakes environment for your uh, overcoming your flinch and developing your fundamentals the next method that I learned about, I don't remember where I learned about it. Uh, I think it was from, cause when I was going through my journey, I first started, I was posting all over social media. I got a bunch of responses from just some great people and it was the counting method. Basically what the counting method is, is you take your gun, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it. And like I have my Red Hawk here and we can see that it is unloaded and cock the hammer. And you're going to squeeze the trigger while counting to five or three, whichever you whichever you prefer or whatever number you prefer. And what it does is you gradually increase the tension on the trigger while counting. But your brain focuses on the counting because you have to do what's next. And it makes your trigger break a little more surprising. So if I was doing that, it would be I have my finger off the trigger and then I put my finger on the trigger and I'm counting one, two, three, four. And it went off at about four and a half. And then you never know when it's going to go off exactly, but you're counting, your brain concentrates on the counting and it's easier to do than to explain. But that was one that was very helpful to me. Another one, like I mentioned, is the random, the same test that you do for your to discover whether or not you have a flinch or target panic is, a, is an exercise you can do on the range to get over your flinch or target panic. Now, this works better for some people than it does for others, but basically the idea is the same thing. You'll get one live round out of, let's say, it's a, if it's a five-round cylinder, you get four dummies in one live round. You load it in the cylinder, you spin it without looking, you close it, and then you run through all five or you run through it until you fire the round that's in there. What this does is it helps you to focus on your trigger press and your fundamentals while at the same time not knowing whether or not the gun's going to go off, because I guess in a perfect world, you should pull the trigger the same way, whether or not you you know it's going to go off or not. And I'm going to talk about that in just a little bit when I get into the difference about flinch versus trigger, or excuse me, target panic. But let's move on to the last technique that I have found very helpful. This was taught to me by Ernie Bishop and Chris Rhodes about, and it's 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 it sounds simple when you say it, and it is to focus on your front sight or your red dot or your reticle. Basically what you're gonna do is it's like I said, it's hard to explain until you experience it. You focus on, and it worked really well. Well, let me back up and tell you a story. I was having major issues with my target panic when I went to Y-Shot and uh, Handgun Hunters competition in Wyoming the first time in 2021. And I knew that I was dealing with it, but I didn't want to, you know, I I wanted to face it and own it and go to do do the competition. I did better than I thought at both competitions, even though I could tell, you know, some of those competitions or some of those shots, was just like, Oh, that was a, that was a bad one. But halfway through the second day at Y-Shot, I was shooting an, uh, an XP-100 loaned to me by Ernie Bishop with a scope on it. And I was trying to put into practice the focus of, uh, excuse me, focusing on the reticle and uh, to the exclusion of everything else. And it's it's kind of like a duh, you know, like you should do that. But really when you do it, you get into like a trance to where you're trying to just monitor that one thing, and everything else just kind of gets on autopilot. For me, what was really helpful to that was to try and follow my shots, to watch through the scope what happened in or after the shot broke during the shot. And since we were shooting at far away targets, usually that's possible because you can watch you can recover enough to see whether or not you had an impact at a thousand yards or beyond, and that started clicking for me and that just upped my game big time because I was able to, man, I, again, it's hard to explain because when you get it, you get it, but you have to, you have to experience it to get it. So what you do is whenever you're shooting with a front sight or excuse me, open sights, red dot or a scope is you let your mind watch that one thing, that dot, that sight, that reticle, and you watch it while you shoot. You watch it recoil. You watch it come down and you watch it when it gets back on target. That will focus your mind away from the shooting part of it and into the hitting part of it. That's that's how I look at it. Again, you got to you got to have to uh, experience it to really get the benefits of that one, but that was another one that was hugely helpful to me. So I mentioned that some flinch techniques won't work for target panic. And I, f- I just found that out by trying all these different techniques. And that's one of the ways that I discovered I was suffering from target panic, not a flinch that, and some people that I was talking to, particularly Trapper Swanson, who said, you know what? That sounds more like target panic than flinch. Cause he had been um, a competitive shooter and uh, done bow work with bows as well. And so what I found, um, A couple of things. One, the the test where you put one live round in a cylinder with other and all the rest of the chambers being dummies and spin it and close it. I found that that was just increasing my anxiety. Because I was just, I didn't know, I didn't know. And that was just making me churn even more. I found for me, I did better if I did know whether or not the gun was going to go off or not, because that's part of the anxiety is the, any of the unknowns, if you introduce any of the unknowns, then that just enhances anxiety. So for me, I pretty much quit doing the the load one and the recipe dummies to practice uh, I think that's a good thing to do for some people. It just didn't really work that well for me. The other one that didn't really work for me is a lot of coaches, and this has been true forever. Talk to talk about being surprised when the trigger breaks, and I've heard some coaches say this, and I this is this is true for me. Is I don't really do well if I don't know when the trigger breaks. I do well if I know exactly when the trigger breaks and you get that knowledge through dry fire and fr- through practice, but it, it's a strange combination for me of a pull of the trigger, you know, a slow, steady pull rather than a intentional, it's not a jerking, uh, it, but it is more of an intentional pull on the trigger rather than a just pull, 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 pull until it goes off. So for me, that was helpful to say, okay, I am going to pull the trigger now. So my brain and my finger and all my muscles worked in tandem to make an event that already caused me anxiety to happen exactly at the moment that I said it would so that I took more control over it, which is anyone who's suffered from anxiety knows you taking control in your own head is one of the key tools that you have to battle anxiety and so that was that was really, really helpful to me, especially when I started shooting my Contender in 730 Waters, which has become my favorite hunting gun. I The trigger on that thing is around two pounds or maybe a little under. And I shot it enough and dry fired it enough that <clears throat> it... I got to know that trigger so well that I can tell you the second, the split second, it's going to go off. And so it's not so much a squeeze, 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 surprise, it's gone off. It's more of a intentional starting to take up the slack. And then my brain says now, and I fire it. That was very helpful to me. Some people may be helped another way. I know people for whom anxiety is not an issue and they can automatically just go to the squeeze until it goes off whatever works for you, that's fine. And speaking of that, I want to go back to the whatever works for you. I want to be clear. All of this stuff that I'm talking about has been discovered by me through trial and error. And I just have come to my own conclusions about it, which is what I suggest you do. There are a lot of experts out there. There are a lot of handgun hunters in HHI who offer amazing advice about anything having to do with handgun hunting. And most importantly, it's from people who have actually been there and done it. However, one of my two guiding philosophies of life is murder all sacred cows. And what I mean by that is just because something has always been done a certain way, doesn't mean that it always has to be done that way, or that that's the only way that will work for you, or that's even the best way that will work for you. So I encourage you, Try, try, try. Don't ever give in. And if you can do that, you will discover what works for you. It may be the most common solution. You may find out that the most common solution to this problem actually works for you. And if that's great, and if that is so, great. If not... Don't get frustrated that what works for everybody doesn't work for you. You may, like me, have to go on your own road and find what the best thing is. The most important thing also after you've done that is please share it with those of us who have suffered from this, which is most of us. If you've had an issue, flinch, or target panic that you've overcome, share your story. Don't be afraid to talk about flinch or anxiety. We're all humans here in case you haven't noticed. And if you've suffered from it, you're just confirming that you are a human. I know that some people struggle with this more than others, but that's just the way it goes. Okay, I hope that this podcast has been extremely helpful to you because this is an issue that's near and dear to my heart. I am very passionate, if you couldn't tell, not only about handgun hunting, but also about talking about the stuff that nobody wants to talk about as far as anxiety and our self image about how good we should be at it. So I hope that you've gotten a lot out of this. If you suffer from target panic or flinch, I hope I've helped you down your road. Also, if I missed something that you think is important, please let me know, drop it in the comments or reach out to me, Ryan at international.com. I can't tell you how much I appreciate all of you who listen to this podcast. It's a labor of love, and it's just been a fantastic journey, even though it's just getting started. So thanks again for listening to The Shortgun Sportsman, and I'll see you on the next one. This podcast is produced by Handgun Hunters International. HHI is the only organization dedicated solely to supporting and growing the sport of handgun hunting. Membership gets you access to our great, well-moderated forum where friendly handgun hunters of all experience levels share stories and information from folks that have actual experience in our sport. We also host giveaways to our members of guns, gear, and ammo every month, and each prize is worth several times what membership costs. In addition to this podcast, we publish a free digital magazine, The Six Gunner, which is written exclusively by HHI members. If you are a handgun hunter or support handgun hunting in any way, you need to be a member of HHI. Join today at handgunhuntersinternational.com. Again, if you have any questions on how to get started in handgun hunting, please reach out to me at ryan at handgunhuntersinternational.com. If you think we deserve it, please leave us a five-star review and don't forget to follow Handgun Hunters International on social media at handgunhuntersint. God bless and good hunting.